0: All right, let's see, we're already live. Thank you so much for joining in, then, on this virtual forum of the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact on governance space in Kenya. They use the hashtag COVID19 and Governance KE. This is where we speak the truth to power, and we have the people who are powerful in the house. Miss Diana Sifuna, who's a dedicated human rights activist, who has previously served as the CEO and board secretary of the youth agenda an NGO that champions for youth inclusion, a brainchild diversity with Diana podcast, it's, uh, discusses inclusive diversity, good governance, and tech innovation among other social issues in Kenya and Africa. Let's go to Miss Diana. Diana Sifuna, you're allowed to say hello to the people. Well, uh, hi, give them a everybody. bit of background. Yes.
1: OK, good. Hi, everybody. My name is Diana. Um, formerly with Youth Agenda, now running a podcast called Diversity with Diana. I hope you get a chance to listen to it. There's a video version of it on YouTube and there's another version of it on SoundCloud. I am a passionate human rights activist. I advocate for women's rights and youth rights, as well as people with disabilities. Um, And currently I think I'm saddened about the the rise of teen pregnancies in Kenya. So I hope we'll discuss about this later as we look at governance and COVID-19 impact.
0: All right, as well. The civil society organizations, also initially unfocused and a bit confused response by the civil society actors up to date, have they now known where the areas of focus should be? And are they implementing the roadmap to ensure that the people are resuscitated from this COVID-19 pandemic that's coming through? That question will also be asked. And the media, for example, have we asked the hard questions? This is the part we going to talk about which makes it seem like a scam, but before we get into that, let's bring in Miss Diana Sifun on this. Diana, what the CSOs caught off guard.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, Trevor. Thanks for that question. I think the whole world was caught off guard, and this tested the systems and the institutions that we do have in place. Um, as human rights activists, I think we first of all went into shock. Uh, Africans and, and you know, black people generally initially thought that we, we are not able to contract uh, you know, the, the disease, the coronavirus. But at the same time, it was very quick. By April, I think Kenya reported the first case on the 13th of March. By April, we're already seeing uh, like numbers of gender-based violence being on the rise. And in fact, one of the other things that people are not talking about is the gender-based violence among people in service. You understand? Before we even go to police brutality, there's 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 a systemic problem where um, I think we didn't understand how to have uh these cushions in place to be able to to protect society from the ills that already exist. Police brutality is not a new thing, gender based violence is not a new thing. So this what COVID did to the CSOs, you know, we were we were right smack in the middle of implementing our programs. You know, those of us in governance and advocacy, those of us in you know, any other other spaces, people were in the middle of doing research and then COVID happened. And then the presidential directive on curfew happened and people were in shock. I even know about CSOs that closed offices and just said, let's wait and see what would happen. That to me is a bit of non-responsiveness in the CSO part, just like the legislators did. Um, In the sense that we didn't recognize this as being um, a critical thing that was happening so instead of pausing we should have actually convened immediately and seen and, and anticipated what would happen to society now that there's a crisis global crisis happening at that point of convening the police reforms working group which is a cso working group should not have been uh say for example looking for data on what is happening but I- instead holding the meetings with the with the, with the, with the this, this is it um the chair of the National Council for Administration of Justice, that meeting should have happened way before police brutality actually happened. And this is now, uh, I think it has exposed to us an opportunity in terms of preparation, so that um, I think this is at the ample time for us to actually prepare ourselves for any form of crisis that happens, be it a pandemic or anything else. But you okay. rightfully have said, and as the report has rightfully shown, the Zalendo report has rightfully shown, that CSOs were not prepared. We actually took a back seat, just like the legislators. And I think we let so many things um, happen and then we want to respond to what has, what has been happening as opposed to being proactive at the very point of the announcement of uh, corona having hit Kenya or even just globally. So I think, yeah. yeah, we did not respond adequately. And I think it's an opportunity for us to learn. Okay.
0: But Diana, so given these recent developments that we're talking about, we've seen them in parliament, in the judiciary, in the political parties, Mm -hmm. how then can CSOs organize to ensure that the separation of powers principles and also accountability and transparency from government agencies is not compromised?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I think for, on the matter of separation uh, of powers, I think I'd leave it to the legislators themselves because we entrust upon them when we elect them or they're given opportunities for nomination to get to the, to the house and to exercise their duties. Uh, when it comes to transparency and accountability, now that's where we come in as CSOs, strongly and, and rightfully so. And I think like what uh, Masharia has said, I think there's an opportunity there uh, for, for us to change or rather to, you know, I, I worry so much when I want to talk about legislation in Kenya. Because I think we risk being over legislated and then we don't implement the legislations that we have. But it, when it comes to transparency and accountability, especially for the leadership, we need to, we need to be able to stand up strongly and even walk up to the legislators that we've put uh, in those, in those places through election. Uh, to ask them that, why are we not being able to get? Uh, why, why are we not able to transparently account for the funds that are being allocated to certain, you know, budgets? For example, even this for the, the Kazim Tani that has been mentioned, two hundred and fifty thousand youths are, are meant to benefit from it. As a youth and as a youth advocate, I haven't seen that thing happen. Other than the the report we saw of about three thousand youths in Muranga County, who probably were given some work to do in a um, at the construction or, or railway we haven't seen where the other 250 000 whatever and these are billions of money that we are talking about so transparency and accountability for the covid funds i think is what is affecting um us right now as a civil society and as a public because we are not able to see it and i wonder whether the executive is really concerned about public um public reputation or public concern. Probably, again, this would, this would be a political thing. Does he really care or do they really care because maybe they know this is an end of a tenure? And that's why, again, the legislators, we plead upon you guys to actually represent us. The young people are suffering. Most of them, in whether in the rural uh, centers or the urban centers, depended on the gig economy, on the, on the, on the you know, on the Juwakali economy. And that was deeply affected by this corona. So when you see cases of uh, suicides happening, uh, when you see cases of gender-based violence, even the police brutality, and then you look at the data and you look at the age of the people affected, most of them are 42 and below. Like this is really sudden, actually 80%. When I look at the, the report on police brutality that was done in May 2020 by, uh, I think, a CSO called IMLU. And uh, I think the ED there is the, is the chair of the working group, the Police Reforms Working Group. The ages, 80% of the people being killed, whether it's on gender-based violence, police reforms, and all these other things that are affecting society. It is us, young women, women in general, youths, and now children. We want to be in denial about the number of teenage pregnancies in Kenya. I spoke to the uh, chief officer for Bungoma County on gender and culture. And she's like, Diana, the numbers are not exaggerated. So what you saw on on the news, you saw the numbers of Machakos County, and I don't remember which other county. But what about Bungoma that had more than 5,000 cases? And in fact, their data shows shows the young children between 10 to 14, and then 15 to 19. You guys, we have 13-year-olds having triplets in Bungoma. And the father of that child, as opposed to it being a rape case or or a gender-based violence, is actually a fourteen-year-old. So, what about like, where are we as society, and what is the responsibility? Do we accuse the children of, uh, you know, having this, ex, uh, you know, intercourse or whatever, or do we blame ourselves? My take is that we need to blame ourselves. The leaders need to blame ourselves. Civil society, the church, media yeah. needs to blame themselves. W- what are we doing in society to ensure that this stops? Because we're actually failing to give them a chance to fight fair in life. Some of, you know, 10 year olds being, you know, this teenage pregnancy. So, sorry, Trevor, I'll talk passionately about the people that I, I advocate for. And I think I was invited to this panel to represent the special interest groups. So, I will speak for the teenagers, I will speak for the youths, and I'll speak for the women. To be honest, we need to pull ourselves together. We need to step up and do something that changes. And that is why you'd see then, for those of us who feel like we have a platform to voice our concerns, and then join yeah. these working groups that are there, that's why we are speaking up. We are coming up for that reason, that we can't okay. just sit back and watch these things happen. Thank
0: you. Ida Knowles to Diana Sifuna. Ida is asking, the COVID-19 pandemic has actually tested our governance structures, our policy choices, and the nature of our politics. Do you think that we made wrong policy, political, and governance choices?
1: Wow, thanks. Diana, I, that's Yes, yeah. I see that. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor, and thanks, Aida, for the question. Absolutely. I think, uh, just like we said from the beginning, that this pandemic could not have been forecasted or, you know, foreseen. And from what you're hearing, our legislators says that um, I think everyone was taken by surprise, and then... The the, the the executive decided to to play the, the the decision making the decision makers basically. So in terms yeah. of policy I think they suspended a lot of um not regulations but what they were supposed to do. A lot of it was suspended and that also then rolled over to human rights violations and in fact even the presidential address uh i think on the 27th or 30th of march to address the police brutality that had happened was actually not good enough because it basically did not give any direction as to what will happen to to the to the police officers who had actually brutalized the people these are the adults in in the liconi ferry and in the other parts of the country so in terms of policy i, I think that suspension happened and then now that uh, Parliament is t- trying to regain its power and exercise its oversight role, um, I think that is what then we should encourage in the sense that let's not live in the past. Let us, like yeah. what um, Hesh has said, let us now help them to move forward. Where, where she's calling upon the media to speak up on these questions and keep, keep the pulse beating on the questions of transparency and accountability on the funds, then we yeah. pick up as CSOs as media. But at the same time, I'd also, you know, it would be unfair for me not to mention about how education was affected and how uh, right now university students, you're seeing they're striking on the streets because uh, they're they're against doing online courses and all this. And probably the problem is that as society, we're looking at the students and we're wondering, do you not see that ha- even having an online class is better? We're not having meaningful dialogues with everyone in society. Everyone wants to play hardball. Politicians are playing their politicking games, whether it's in the political parties. Uh, we're having public displays of you know who has the power and all these theatrics that are really not necessary we are not thinking as human as humanity as how do we progress kenya i even worry when i hear projections of the economy is going to be bad and there are going to be more uh, job losses and i'm saying how are we going to prepare ourselves in terms of governance of the country to move forward so we as the csos we are there we're the citizen watchdog The media is the fifth the the fourth estate so i think it 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 calls for us to have collective effort and collective thinking and to be honest me i have a very radical approach towards this corruption and all this uh, misappropriation of funds for me i say we name them and shame them all this working on eggshells i think i think many people are compromised and that's why they're afraid of speaking up So when you're compromised, that's why you're afraid of speaking up. But if you know that you're not compromised in any way, then surely we should be able to give information out to the public so that we even as the electorate and the people who elect the leaders, we can say, no, we're not voting for these people. These these people who are not qualified or even um, credible enough who cannot even be checked uh, when you you look at the requirements of Chapter 6 of the Constitution. Why do we have these people in leadership? Then we start complaining about uh, being uh, witch hunted or whatever. I think in terms of governance, Aida, to answer your question, yes, we made a wrong, uh, you know, the first response was wrong, but then we grew from that and there's so much more that we need to do. And I know she's also a young young, uh, youth advocate, so then definitely it's a call upon us to mobilize, organize, and then make proposals. We actually have to make recommendations so that we are not complaining, but we are proposing solutions.
0: And uh, Diana, 30 seconds,
1: closing remarks. Thank you for that, thank you for that. I like the the, um, infographics that Alendo shared with us, and I'm hoping it will be on their website. You can see how the special interest groups um, how the, re- the response to this COVID was really bad, and it continues to be so. So I'm just calling upon everyone as a member of society to, to look beyond looking towards the leaders and abusing them on social media and all these other things, and look towards what they're doing themselves as members of society. Look at the young people around you. Look at the teenagers um if if you need to mentor them and you need to talk to them and give them access to contraceptives and stuff like that and thankfully there's no there's nobody from the religious institutions to maybe uh shut me up on that matter i think we need to be realistic with what is happening and we need to be able to help them and help them grow well and give them access to medical services that they need regarding sexual and reproductive health so that's my my all
0: right 30 seconds